Hello, and welcome back to the Embodied and Sovereign podcast. On today's episode, I am so excited to have Jenna Ward here with me. So Jenna is the founder of the School of Embodied Arts, an international training organization and community devoted to cultivating the skills of feminine embodiment in life and leadership. At the time of this uh, airing of this podcast, she's actually in the midst of hosting a free uh, three-week event called The Future is Embodied, which can still be joined by going to www.thefutureisembodied.com. She has a passion for coaching and has worked with women from over 22 countries across five continents, partnering with them to discover the endless depth, beauty, and wisdom of their own bodies knowing. She is also a mom of a young baby girl and a wife, uh, splitting their time between her home country of Australia and her husband's home in the Netherlands. Um, Jenna also holds a particular special spot in my heart and being I went through her feminine embodiment coaching certification at a very magical and pivotal point in my own life. I stumbled upon feminine embodiment um, in a very intuitive and serendipitous process. I discovered her and this program, which started only a few weeks later, and I was all in and <laughs> there was no turning back. So um, Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a treat to join you and to be touching base together. I mean, we were peers when we worked together in the program, but then also to work together now as peers with a, a fuller evolution of your work, my work, the world is so wonderful. So thank you for having me. Yeah. So the first question, I know this is kind of a typical question for interviews, but for people who don't know you, um, I, I like to ask this, like, just if you could share a little bit about your own journey into discovering feminine embodiment. Yes, very happy to. And there's a lot that mirrors what you described, this curiosity, this serendipity. I feel like in a lot of ways embodiment is a word and a experience and a philosophy and a way of life that kind of chooses us and we don't always necessarily have a say in that right so my pathway into that awakening and that choosing happened when I was working as a clinical hospital pharmacist and I became quite unwell and began looking into natural and alternative remedies because the drugs I was taking were, was, were not helping me. And I began to study energy medicine, which was really profound. It was based in traditional Chinese medicine, which is a long lineage of really, really beautiful arts. But there was something in the way that I was being taught that, that way of working. And I was being taught in the West, this beautiful Eastern philosophy. There was something that was just really missing and that I was craving. I didn't realize what it was at the time, but I began exploring and learning and experimenting with my clients because I had changed careers from hospital pharmacist to working as a coach and a practitioner in my own practice. And at some point I began to realize what I really yearned for was vulnerability, intimacy with the experience of transformation, not for somebody to do some magic over the top of me and just send me on my way and yeah. perpetuate this hierarchical 
like I'm the healer and I will fix you, which was kind of the energy medicine philosophy yeah. that I had been taught. I really wanted not to have the answers as the practitioner, but to resource myself in my personal practice and my clients to actually discover what was true for them. Mm. And for that to be a full body experience that would inform how they then went out into the world to support their decisions and the way they showed up and their boundaries. And I had no language around what that was, but what I was yearning for and what our culture is so deficient in mm. is two things. First is embodiment. So mm. that is the sensitivity to being in my body and to experiencing what is alive here. I had this idea that I was a scientific person and I had mm. no creativity, <laughs> that I was a woman, but that I wasn't particularly sensual, mm. that I was efficient and that was my highest value. And I had a really desensitized, pretty numb body. And that was not from a result of any major trauma or from any, you know, I, I live a pretty white privileged life. It was just a symptom of the culture and the mm -hmm. soup that I was raised mm -hmm. in. So at, at some point, this word, like you described, came to me, embodiment. It's like I wanted to be really much more sensitive and alive in my body. And the other aspect was the feminine. So the feeling flowing current of aliveness, that's like I wanted to be ravished by that. That was woefully missing from my life. And as I began weaving that more into my practice with my clients and I began to find the language to describe what this was, feminine embodiment, and I was doing it as a practitioner in the form of coaching, it just was like, ah, oh, I feel like I have come home, which I had. I had come home to myself and that untapped so many unexpected gifts and surprises and desires and sensualities. And although feminine embodiment, you know, it's not a religion or it's not a cult, it is almost like it is a, it is a philosophy or a way of, of operating or of living or of seeing the world. It's been totally hooked ever since. Mm, I love it. <laughs> I think this is like... I, I just love everything you said, because a lot of that, I, it feels like it mirrors my own awakening as well. And it's like something you said, um, how when when you are a healer, quote unquote, it's like there there is this kind of whether it's conscious or unconscious, this like burden of responsibility to have the answers for the person that's coming to you. And that never stopped sat well with me either and that is also a reason why I was so attracted to this because it's like I'm like I don't want to have your answers <laughs> like that is like that is on you like I will I want to help you discover your answers but um it is like yeah it is this this um paradigm shift of like you said like this hierarchical way of doing things versus it's like no like we all have that to some degree, right? Like access to that within ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And our culture is built on an idea of power over another mm -hmm. uh, because that's the way that order is kept and that's the way the social structure and the norms mm -hmm. of capitalism and blah, 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 all the different systems and isms of our time. And it's really easy, like that infiltrates, you know, I described earlier, I was a hospital pharmacist. So I was used to that hierarchy between patient and medical professional and it was one of the things I really actually didn't like I found mm. so disempowering and despondent and hopeless about the medical system that I was working in I was in Australia at the time and 
it just did not excite me to hold that burden and that weight of responsibility as a practitioner because it's not sustainable for one person's right. body. But it's also really disempowering and yeah. disenfranchising for clients. Yeah. It's yeah. not the kind of future I wanted to perpetuate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so also this other question, I've wanted to ask you this for a while, so I'm excited to be able to, but I remember going through your program and, um, like I said earlier, it was this like kind of very visceral, intuitive embodied awaken awakening of the feminine, like within me. And it was this whole realm that was just so new to me. And one thing that, um, to talk like energetically just for a moment it's like the feminine is is kind of is like wild right it's kind of like free-flowing like unstructured in a way and when I had that experience I had a very hard time like feeling into structure that didn't feel um like I was trapped or constrained by it um, kind of similar to what we were just talking about, like with the hierarchy, it's like at some point it becomes disempowering, right? But <laughs> this might be a, kind of a strange question, I'm not sure, but I was so impressed by the, how you created this structure, like this really well thought out structure and organization, the organization of your program, like of this, like kind of bringing the feminine into this like structured way. And I'm just I've always been curious to ask you, like, what was your process like in, in creating this? Yes, that is a very interesting question. I think before I answer it, it requires us just, and your listeners may already have this definition, but I just want to, for my own mm -hmm. kind of completeness, really clarify what, what we're speaking about with the feminine. Mm -hmm. So it's not a gender, it's an energy yeah. that exists within every person. And you're right, it is that wild energy I always look to Mother Nature as the mm -hmm. example of this. It is the fluid, chaotic, ever-changing flow of mm -hmm. sunshine. Then I'm in the Netherlands for the time, like I'm living in the Netherlands right now. And so they describe Mother Nature here as being really moody because yeah. she's sunny, rainy, windy. It's hailing. It's sunny again. And it's like 7 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that's the feminine. And how I came to create, so we have the Feminine Embodiment Coaching Certification. It's a program that can certify you to become a coach professionally, but also become really masterful in the feminine arts personally in a period of six to 12 months, depending on how long you wanted to do the program. And I know you did the program in six months. So when I was first <clears throat> kind of deconditioning my body out of our hypermasculine disembodied culture I swung way to the other end of the pendulum mm -hmm. into the super <laughs> and that's a pretty typical rite of passage because if we're going to kind of reanimate this dormant aspect of ourselves it's not like we don't have the feminine in us it's not like we didn't get born with that ingredient that ingredient is essential for all of life and exists within all people of all genders and sexual identities but it's dormant because it's a skill and a quality that we're not encouraged to develop. Mm -hmm. And so when I was kind of first getting into figuring out this feminine aspect, I swung all the way towards, yeah. I don't, I can't have any structure. I need to be all flow. <laughs> and it was like way, way, way out this side. 
And that was really great for a few years and a few seasons. And during that time, I was doing a lot of my own work, working one-on-one with clients, working with small groups of clients. But there was some point whereby too much feminine or an excess of feminine without the masculine discipline, structure, penetration, go and moving forward energy, it also began to feel too chaotic in my system. And so there was certainly a point within my profession, within my personal figuring out of who I am. And like that's embodiment. The idea of embodiment is just to simply inhabit the truth of who you are. But you have to know your full spectrum in order to determine actually where do you land on the yeah. spectrum? What is your what is your natural disposition beneath all of the conditioning of our times? And that's an exploration I'm totally still on for the rest of my life. So it for me, I think one of the key ingredients was simply like my personal mastery, which is an ongoing evolution with knowing the spectrum of my feminine and my masculine and being able to fluidly inhabit both Mm -hmm. to recognize what tools or processes or orientations I needed to hold in my body to inhabit one or the other and to have the sensitivity to know when I was too far or too much in one. Mm. And so this is a, this is a piece of like personal mastery, which I still invoke, uh, constantly because I run a business I have a young child I have a busy life we have lots of clients to take care of we have busy conferences and it's like how and plus this culture wants to consistently bring me back into a hyper masculine state and so it's like that's personal practice number one so I'd say that's one of the key components the second piece is that and I alluded to this there's a natural makeup within me which is a sensualist Mm. and a structural person like Mm. I am just intrinsically within me if you give me a challenge I will see structure in it that's Mm. how my brain works my Mm. brain works in creating processes and yet it is the sensual embodied the ravishment that's what kind of like makes life worth living Mm. for me and so even how the coaching certification came about, I would be sitting coaching with clients and like coaching with hundreds of clients. And I would hear myself saying the same things, doing the same processes, mm-hmm. giving the same prompts. And my, my brain just began to see this structure yeah. without necessarily trying. You know, I didn't have plans to write a coaching certification. It wasn't until I had coached a certain number of people that some peers started circling back to me and saying, can I learn how to do that from you? Mm-hmm. What? No, this is not a thing, except <laughs> then it became a thing. And, and I began offering that back in 2017. So I think there is definitely playing to your strengths, but you can only play to your strengths once you know your strengths, which, are, which requires you to, to know your full spectrum and your full capacity. And with that said, our coaching certification, we still keep innovating it and refining it. We have nothing but glowing feedback about the program, but times keep changing and innovation and optimization. That's something that is always at the heart of what we do as our school. So it's so lovely to hear your experience and, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I love that because I have that very similar experience of like the pendulum swinging the other way when I had my um 
yeah, my, I just, I don't know exactly what to call it, but it's like the awakening of the feminine when it just like happened. And it's like, I just realized how exhausted I was from the over dominating structure of, yeah, of our, of our current world. And I went way into the feminine and for a little while. And, you know, we speak about this in the training, but when that, when the structure of who you have been, who you have been socialized or conditioned or forced out of a need for safety and survival, when you have been operating with that identity. So for me, like, let's just describe it as as the super highly efficient pharmacist who by in their early twenties was pretty much at the top of the professional ladder. And it's like, where do I go to next? Oh, like, is this it? Is this what, do I just need to have like 2.3 children now? (laughs) Um, So there's like, when we begin to decondition ourselves out of that and into the expanse of the feminine, which is limitless, we have a real dissolving or collapsing of all of the identities and and the internal ideas about who we have been, which begin to, to erode. Mm. And, you know, in many spiritual traditions that just is described as the dark night of the soul is like, who am I? Mm. So we're like excavating who am I plus awakening greater sensitivity to all of these dormant superpowers, which our society tells us make us too sensitive, too hormonal, too erratic, (laughs) too chaotic, too this, too that. And so we're also having to like, navigate pretty much in the dark you know Mm -hmm. with community but we're having to navigate our way back into finding the power of all of those feminine aspects in a world that has you know for our whole life pretty much said that's not the way and that's dangerous yeah yeah and that can that's and this is why I say like it's not something I necessarily chose consciously like it wants if it wants to awaken in you it will have its way with you yeah it does (laughs) absolutely I can vouch for that too um so kind of along this lines you you do talk a lot about well you work with many women who are like particularly particularly successful in their careers and lives and often talk about um, like the myth of myths of female success or like the affliction of women's worthiness. Um, can you share a little bit about this and perhaps give some pointers on what, you know, some things we can do to change this? This is a very big question. I know. <laughs> so I'll, I can only share from my personal experience yeah. because mm-hmm. that's what I've lived. But even before I was into this whole embodiment thing and even knew like that was a word or a thing that you could do, as a pharmacist, I would just observe what kind of held me back and what held other people back or what challenged us. And I came to see or have a sense, kind of a hypothesis or a theory, that at the heart of pretty much most of our struggles, for women specifically, or those who identify as women, there is often this quiet discomfort and a question of, am I too much? Is this not enough? Have I done it right? Will I be accepted? Will they like me? And many different iterations and and personal forms of, I don't know if who I'm being in this moment is adequate. Mm. And I wonder if I need to shape shift or 
become hypervigilant around my perfectionism or overgive or play the nice girl that smiles really politely and, you know, I began to see myself doing this so, so much. I even noticed still sometimes I slip into this kind of almost this ideal of how we should be in order to be received, be loved, be successful. Mm. And when we are wearing that, when we are wearing that picture of who we should be based on this deep fundamental fear of am I enough? Is it enough? Am I too much? Am I too loud, too emotional, too hormonal? Is my skin not good enough? Do I have too much here? Is that am I too loud? Do they not do they do they know that I'm not as smart as they think <laughs> that I am? <laughs> When we begin wearing yeah. the, all of the different chameleon colors, what is actually happening is we are embodying society's idea of what and who we should be. Mm. And there is absolutely no room for our truth, our essence, our spirit, our soul, call it what you will. But like the unique fundamental spark that we are, there's no space for that mm. to occupy our body. Yeah. Yeah. And we know how that feels because it feels empty. It feels absent. It feels like going through the motions. And so you could call this or you could describe this as a core wound of unworthiness or not enough. And I do think that it's really relevant. It's not the only answer. There are many different complex layers to the answer but I think it is an important aspect of the answer because in my experience, if I'm not willing to go to the place within me that whispers that question, is this too much? Are they going to find you out? Do they know? This is not enough. You shouldn't be. It's not okay. If I'm not willing to go to the edge of noticing how my body experiences that, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's a feeling or a sensation, maybe it's a vision, maybe it's like a, a person's externalized voice telling it to me in my head, like, for example, your mother or your father or somebody else. I'm not willing to be intimate with the experience of that place where I feel quietly ashamed or disenfranchised or disconnected from my power mm. that says you are absolutely enough and there is actually no question about that ever mm. if I'm not willing to go to the edge of it then I'm not actually going to discover what the deeper truth is underneath it and so mm. many of us kind of work with positive mindset and affirmations as ways mm -hmm. to kind of override or keep ourselves separate from that bubble of simmering shame and discomfort and it either leaves us living this chameleon disenfranchised life or spending a lot of energy trying to fix it with our mind when our mind is not the issue. Mm -hmm. The truths actually, you know, for many generations and centuries, women have in many different ways been socialized and shamed and diminished in our place in society. And that may or may not be your or my lived experience, but that is the soup that women have lived in yeah. for generations. And that's still alive in us, mm -hmm. in women, and in a lot of people generally, because that's also how capitalism works. Like, you need this beauty cream, you need mm -hmm. these spandex <laughs> tights, you need these dot, 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 in order for you to be what you should be. Mm -hmm. 
And none of that is your truth speaking. Yeah. And so embodiment is simply the intention to, and like the tip around this is, like if we're to really think about it being practical, to notice where you, like to notice first how that question, sensation, thought of it's not enough, I'm not enough, it's too much, whatever your version of that is. Mine lately has been, they might figure me out. Like (laughs) they might figure me out. Like I'm still (laughs) figuring this out myself. I hope everyone knows it. And it's like, it's so freeing even for me to vocalize that in this moment, because if I'm willing to notice the sensation, meet it, be with intimacy in it, there is a deeper truth under that. And that is, you don't have to be any more other or else. You don't have to be more intellectual or beautiful or whatever the standard that is such a BS standard is just be you. Mm. And that is the most magnetic, radiant, ravishing (laughs) thing that we all actually want from you. Mm. That's what we want from you. And that's what enables you to actually be with others with deep intimacy and be with life with deep intimacy, Mm. which in a lot of ways is the purpose for us being here. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do it's this is a little bit of a pivot but um so I know when when I was going through your program um I got the opportunity to meet you and some of the other women in the group in person in Bali for Mm -hmm. yeah for the um a live immersive weekend and that was so special and I just I (laughs) on a side note I remember being like horribly I loved it and I also remember being feeling like horribly self-conscious in some of it because it was like in the movement because it was so hot <laughs> I was like just didn't want to I didn't want to be like sweating on people or <laughs> but um anyway when you were there you were pregnant at the time with your little girl and I I've been curious to ask you about um just like what it's been like you know doing this kind of embodiment work, um, you know, prior to being pregnant and then being pregnant and then now being a mom. Absolutely. So I decided to uh, have a home birth for the birth Mm -hmm. of my child, which I come from a very medical family. We have a lot of doctors in the family Mm -hmm. and, um, no one was in favor of that. So I actually just didn't tell them. Okay. And had a beautiful home birth and it was a really intense labor. And I have the privilege and the wealth to be able to hire a really great team to be safe at home for my home births. But I feel that and I know that my embodied movement practice, which is a practice that my body kind of first showed me and that I've had many different teachers along the way and a lot of this you know that's the movement practice that you were speaking about that you're like self-conscious yep. of being a bit <laughs> it's quite humid in Bali yes that embodied movement practice which is a way to be with your body and what's alive in your body with sensitivity and with compassion and with the ability to move that sensation and energy through the body so it doesn't get stuck and so that we don't hold on to it mm. 
that was without a doubt 10 out of 10 so important in my home birth we had a beautiful home birth and we didn't require any drugs and baby was in a bit of a challenging position but with some expert midwives we were able to move through all of it Mm. in at the time it was really exhausting and really intense but it was not painful Mm. You know, I think so much of the language that we use around sensation is really simplified because we're so distant from it. Our sights, like we want to keep ourselves so far. So if I don't even like want to look at what that sensation is, I'm going to call it pain when actually mm-hmm. it's intensity and it's pinching yeah. and it's tightness and it's heaviness and it's so much. Like when I'm actually, when I'm actually intimate with that sensation. So in terms of childbirth, I just I was part of a mother's group um, and I was the only kind of feminine embodiment coach in the group, surprisingly. Mm. And my birth story looked nothing like any of the other mothers in this group. Mm. I'm so sad that that is the norm of our times, that birth has become something so medically and intervention orientated. Yeah. Majority of women in this group had an induction, Mm -hmm. which there are sometimes very good medical reasons for, And yet very often that induction leads to, so like in in kind of general terms, they decide it's time for the the baby to come out, even though the body hasn't decided that yet. And just the trauma that I hear and in contrast, my experience was so radically different. So home birth is not for everyone and not everyone has the privilege or the resources to access that. And Yet at the same time, I can say that the embodiment practice, it was the reason I felt strong enough to even make that decision in the first place. Mm. Even the opportunity to have a, like to consider that because I was the only one that was advocating for it. My husband wasn't sure. My family was adamantly against (laughs) it. My healthcare providers were saying, "Mm, no, don't go to those quack pots. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) P.S. I am. Yeah. So it's like that was fundamental. And and then parenting, like, oh my gosh, if there's ever a time that you need to be able to find a few things. Number one, advocacy for yourself as a woman mm. in the role of mother, because it will suffocate you. Yeah. Number two, the ability to center yourself when there is just like shit going down. <laughs> My mother recently said to me, Jenna, I just cannot believe how patient you are. And I was like, look, I'm not a patient person, but in this dynamic, like this is what I have to be. Yeah. And I need to find ways to be with what I'm experiencing in my body, which is why the advocacy piece is so important. Mm-hmm. If I don't get what I need as a mother, I can't be patient with my child. She's so young. She can't regulate her emotions. Mm. She's just in the intense embodied experience of them erupting (laughs) and she really needs a lot from me at this time and I you know that sometimes can feel really suffocating and so again my practices I feel I'm not the best mother I sometimes have times where I really lose my shit but at the same time these practices they keep me as a woman sane and I know like I see how well adjusted and easy and you know it's probably also just the baby that I got but like just in terms of her sleep and her eating and her behaviors I she's just 
I'm probably biased because I'm, <laughs> I'm the child's mother. <laughs> but she is just a radiant, gorgeous little being that is the picture of health, like has had a cold for half of one day her whole mm. life. And, you know, embodiment has to have something to do with that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the only piece of the puzzle, but there must be a significant weight to like that overall picture of just wellness that our family has. Mm. Yeah, I love this, what you were saying. And I, I feel like I've heard it, heard you say it maybe in different ways, but like, again, like reiterating this, like if we aren't willing to go to the edge to, of something or to meet something that might be uncomfortable, we just label it as pain. And that it might not be like pain in the, in that very strict sense, but yeah, like like you said, it might be just a tightness or uh, some other sensation. And and I was feeling into that as you were saying that, and I'm I just started getting goosebumps because I'm like, that's that is so true. It's like it's not it's not always. A lot of times we do need we need to meet that we need to meet that sensation. Yeah. And we live in a like a hypercortical age where as soon as we sense something, we want to put a label on it mm. and our brain wants to go into analysis of why do I feel that? How mm. can I not feel that? What needs to change? What do I need to remedy? And as soon as our energy leaves that sensation, feeling, emotion, or like that feminine energy that is alive in our body and it uncouples from the body and moves up into the brain to analyze solve and fix we lose intimacy and we lose or we stop the body's natural process which is to allow that which we are experiencing to flow mm. and as it flows it naturally moves into what's next and so like in the example of childbirth, it's like there's intensity because there's a surge right now where my uterus is contracting. And if I can be with the, that, if I can be with that, move into that, experience the nuances of that, then as that dissipates, I also get the joy, the privilege and the sweet pleasure of that moment as it begins to recede mm -hmm. and relax and I feel my body just on this wave of oxytocin, mm -hmm. there were moments of extreme bliss, not many, <laughs> but a few <laughs> during my labor. Yeah. And that was only possible because the tightness, which we might yeah. describe simplistically as the pain, like as we're intimate with that and let that flow, we're then free to be intimate with what comes next. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of any experience in life. Like, I use embodiment constantly when I stub, like kick my toe or my elbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go into the intensity of it and you'll find it dissipates and yeah. it abates so quickly within a few seconds as opposed to like carrying that pain yeah. around because you're not willing to feel it. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Um, so I can only imagine what kind of thoughts might go through your head as a, as a new mom to a young daughter and as someone who's, you know, very self-aware, socially aware, um, feminine embodiment coach. And so I'm curious if you have any insights or reflections you can share about how, how you're choosing to do things differently for 
the betterment of the future that your daughter is stepping into? That's a very big question and one that I'm still figuring out. Yeah. I'd make it up as I go along, really. Yeah. One of the things right now uh, that I'm working with is being a real advocate for my child's no. Mm. So when people particularly, you know, my child is in contact with a lot of family members that love her and everyone wants to do the right thing by her. But a lot of us also see our children as our property. Yeah. And so we might be tickling or playing and it's fun. And then all of a sudden I hear a little no, or she speaks Dutch. So it's often nay. Mm. And as soon as I hear her nay, her no, it's like we stop. Yeah. As soon as you say your no, as soon as you express your truth, we all listen and we follow. Mm. And I'm actually the only one in the family that does that. Everyone else keeps tickling. They keep playing because it's fun. Yeah. It's harmless. It doesn't, she's fine. I love her. It's okay. And it's like, actually, what does that teach her about her body autonomy? It teaches her that when she expresses her no or her truth into the world, that people that are older than her, I don't want to get all patriarchal up in our face, but often it's men, yeah. will keep overriding her body's intelligence. And that's a really slippery slope for beginning to assume that somebody else knows better than her. Yep. And I guess that reveals another of my internal assumptions, which is she knows her body best. Yeah. yeah. If she doesn't want to eat something, I'm not going to force food down her throat. Mm. If she says and pushes away her dinner, I'm full. It's like, okay, you know your body best, darling. Are you sure you don't want a yogurt mm. or some fruit? No? Okay, then you're done. I'm not going to force you to eat more food because you know your body best. Right. And I really want to instill in her, her body and her sensations are a resource for her to be really familiar and safe to express. And that means we have to honor what she expresses, even if it's inconvenient for us. Mm. I love that I think that I, is don't know, I don't know what kind of impact that will have <laughs> it's a hypothesis it's yeah. like we're, we're working it out but I feel like particularly because uh, at the moment we assume that she's a little girl she'll decide what her gender identity will be as she gets older mm. but you know we, we've labeled her a little girl at the moment um, particularly for little girls I mean learning for Learning for, I think there's something in, in, in learning to know that we can express ourselves and be heard. And I think there's also something for her in seeing her mother as an advocate for whatever you want, I stand behind you. Yeah. Whatever you want, I stand behind you. Mm. So there's also something in that dynamic as well. Like I'm on your team, not leading you, but standing behind and with you always. Yeah. Yeah to be on her side. I think yeah. that is that is particularly important for for children in general and and especially for young young girls because we do learn um it's this in, just very very subtle and insidious like um you know re relenting of our own boundaries and it's in it's very unconscious at that age. Absolutely. And you know, I won't get all the things right, but I see what a huge evolution has been possible in my opportunities and privileges compared to my mother or her grandmother. Mm -hmm. 
and again, I'm speaking from a position of real privilege because I come from a fam- like a white family, a family with intergenerational wealth. This is really different if I had a different lived experience. Mm. Um, but I just think about the opportunities that that next generation will have. And it's like, oh, if I give you every footing, like imagine standing on this. Yeah. What comes next mm. for you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so back on the subject of um this conference that you're creating that you're in the when the time when this airs um it's in the middle of it um the future is embodied and i just wanted to ask something that inspired you to create this conference i have ever since i've realized embodiment is a thing Mm. and that I was super disembodied and working with you know hundreds of women thousands of women working and graduating hundreds of coaches from our school and these are women from you know you mentioned in my bio like across five continents that's every continent with the exception of Antarctica I've worked Mm. with clients so every continent in the world and although we all come from very diverse different experiences we all are living in disembodied ways Mm -hmm. And so this question, how did we get so disembodied, has been something Mm -hmm. that I've always been hungry to answer. And while at the same time knowing that looking back doesn't actually create the skills for me to be with what needs to be here now. So there's definitely been a phase of my personal and professional journey that's been about really solidifying and cementing how do we just do embodiment right now? And that that has been and continues to be the primary thrust of my body of work. But in my personal evolution, I'm hungry to consistently bring greater consideration about what has informed how we got here And how can that shape the way that we take our skill of personal embodiment Mm. to really shape an embodied future for more of us? Mm. So what I'm wanting to do and what has inspired the conference is if we take this skill of feminine embodiment, that's a skill you coach in, that I coach in, that many women listening to our conversation I'm sure Mm. are interested in, how can we take that skill and apply it to create bigger and wider ripples Mm. in the world? Yeah. That's what, that's what I was inspired to speak about more broadly. Mm. And so the types of speakers that we've invited to the conference are very diverse speakers, not necessarily people that um, teach on embodiment, but people that teach in embodied ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're looking at feminine business and leadership in embodied ways, anti-capitalist ways of working. We're looking at beauty standards and menstruation and different like invisible standards that women map themselves to and we're looking at these in embodied ways Mm. we're talking about motherhood we've got two guests that specialize in motherhood and again we're broadening the context of how can we be more aware of what shaped us getting here so that we can bring that analysis to shape how we move forward Mm. do better and be better because we're at a really like I think we all feel it and we see it on the news. We're at a really pivotal time and we have been for many centuries having really pivotal times and our body can either like, this is the body that's going to fuel our future. And this is also the body that, that is 
it's housing our collective past. Mm. So do we want to actively create a different future? Like I have a child, I certainly do. My family has been impacted by climate change in really intimate ways, like bushfires on our doorstep. Yeah, I see the impact of this. It's something that none of us are getting away of, not to even begin to speak about racial oppression and white supremacy. Like that's a whole conversation that mm. I'm not an educator on that area, but that's something that is really present in our times because it's part of the soup that has created so much disembodiment. Yeah. Mm. And I want our bodies to do better and be better. And so we were just speaking before we started pressing, uh, like recording this conversation. And I was saying there's so much activation in this conference. And I'm so happy just to be having these conversations mm. and sharing them for free for people who want to be in this kind of container. Mm. Oh, it's so exciting. Um, so I have a couple more uh, questions here before we uh, run out of time. Um, I like to ask this of everyone I interview. Um, what are, when you're working with your clients and your students, what are one of your favorite experiences or realizations to witness and facilitate for them to have? I would say, so the majority of the clients that I work with are through our coaching certification. I have a private roster of clients that, but they tend to be more in business, but the favorite, like one of the things that I really love the most, and we say this to women all the way through the training. So our coaching certification is not about making you into something that you're not. It is about simply allowing you to have the language and the tools and the experience of really blossoming into what you're already capable of. And when I see somebody actually experience that blossoming, like, oh, there it is. <laughs> like just the other day, one of um, a, a student who recently graduated then just uh, signed up her first ever coaching client. She'd mm. never coached before. And it was her first client, first paying client uh, to finish the training. And she, she let me know and she sent a video and I could just see, you know, I'd seen many moments of blossoming for her, but it was like, there it is. Mm, yeah. You like, you are that and you are actualizing that in the world. Mm. Mm. That's what, that's what really turns me on. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, and I, I think you touched on this already a bit, but if, if you have anything to add to this, um, what are some of your tried into rituals or routines that just you practice regularly daily or just regularly to continually help cultivate a deeper relationship and intimacy with your own ex embodied experience? There's probably three that I can mention. So the first is I use a planner for my week called the embodied to-do list, mm. which is about structuring my energy and my creativity. So my feminine aspects before I get into the hyper-masculine, like doing an administration. Mm. And so at the start of each week, I use my embodied to-do list and I map how is it that I want to feel? What is the possibility I want to energize? What do I want to creatively achieve? And then also what needs to get done. And this really helps me orientate to, you know, because it's just so easy to get into the grind of things. And that doesn't 
that's not what I want. So that's one that I've consistently been using for maybe like five years. The second is a feminine embodiment movement practice. We've spoken about this during our time. So at the moment, I probably do two 40-minute movement practices a week and a little bit just in the moment as I need to. And honestly, that just keeps me sane. Yeah, It's so important. <laughs> and that brings me to the third thing. So I'm a newish mother. My, my little one sleeps through the night now. Mm. But um, I sometimes want to like vomit in my mouth when people talk about their morning rituals. But I'm, <laughs> the third one I'm actually going to say is I, at times, I'm not always consistent with this depending on the family, but when I can, I am a morning person. I think that's because I've grown up in Australia where the sun's up early. Mm. And if I can just get half an hour to myself before the rest of the day, I'm so much less resentful to my family. If I have to wake up and the first thing I have to do is for somebody else, you just don't get the best version of me. (laughs) So I wake up half an hour before everyone else and I just like light my little ritual candle, play a little playlist, I sit, sometimes I read the news or a book or do a movement practice and just that little bit of time for myself before yeah. I have to give myself to another person for my personality type and energy type. So <laughs> when I, when I can do it, it's so nourishing. Yeah, I can, I can completely relate to that. And I, I'm actually really glad you brought up the embodied to-do list. Cause I was using that for um, probably like a year and a half and I, I don't know what happened. I moved or lots of chaos happened, but I stopped using it. But I, um, I feel like I want to start using that again. <laughs> yeah. If it were, if you enjoy it, like yeah. for me, it is just, it just helps give like structure to my feminine side, yeah. to my desires yeah. and it yeah. gives priority to them. Yes. Yeah. I found it incredibly helpful. Mm. Um, and who or what is one of your greatest sources of inspiration that you that you regularly look to? Mm, that is a fabulous question. I would actually say my students, we don't actually call them students, we mm. call them peers because mm. they're practitioners and they're sovereign in their own right. But when I just look at the caliber of women that I have the privilege, like yourself, and the opportunity to collaborate with, Mm. I feel hungry and inspired and, like, I see the the gaps or the possibilities about what more or what else or where. And often it's not always about learning more or doing more. It's about often the inspiration is about deeper intimacy and experience. And Mm -hmm. so it's like not so much more of the, you know, like in a traditional academic sense, you might think it's about like doing the next and creating, but actually from a more feminine sense, it's often actually like feeling the field and and allowing things to be bigger and juicier and messier Mm. and putting that experience over the theory. Yeah sort of prioritizing experience over theory. So I would actually have to say the consistently greatest source of inspiration is just the amazing women I get the privilege to work with. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, and then so before we end, so um, as the world is opening back up slowly, seemingly, we'll see <laughs> from the pandemic, um, what's something you're 
looking really really looking forward to doing again like or or actually doing less of like either for yourself or your family or um, with your students or peers there are many things I'm looking forward to but uh, my family has historically been like a more of a nomadic family traveling so I'm definitely looking forward to travel yeah. and for like just quietly between you and I and everyone that's listening for our school so we have students from all corners of the world and I've been hanging out for us for us to have our inaugural awards night for about 18 months now and I'm really looking forward to when it's safer for most people to be able to travel I'm really looking forward to us having another in-person event yeah oh that would be so amazing <laughs> Um, Jenna, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time and space to share your wisdom with us. Thank you for having me and for everyone who's joined us for this conversation. It's been so lovely and I'm deeply privileged to be able to have this chat today. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. So um, for anyone listening, if you want to find out more about Jenna and her offerings, you can visit her website, jennaward.co. So that's J-E-N-N-A-W-A-R-D dot C-O. And there is still time to join her conference at thefutureisembodied.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. I also have a special free gift for all of my listeners. Just go to meganhart.coach slash gift. That's M-E-G-A-N-H-A-R-T dot C-O-A-C-H slash G-I-F-T. All my love to you. Until next time.